KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. Many families are spending a lot more time together this year than ever before due to the coronavirus pandemic. So now that parts of the country are open again and people are trying to get out of the house, what does that mean for kids who have gotten kind of used to spending all this time at home with their families? Dr. Yasinia Maraquin is a clinical psychologist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, or CHOP. Within the Anxiety Behaviors Clinic, and that's housed within the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Great. And um, that's exactly why I reached out to you today, because families have been spending a lot of time together since March. Right now, things are changing again. It's fall and things are starting to open up again. And I mean, it seems like, you know, there's either been a lot of cabin fever, stepping on each other's toes, or, you know, people are really happy. What do you think the consequences of being in the house together for this long period of time is? Uh, Do you have any observations or concerns so far? I think that's tough to tell. We would need to do some extensive studies of kids and adolescents from various ages to really get a good understanding of uh, certain patterns or, or trends that have been coming up. For some young people, being at home has worked really well. For others, they are so grateful to uh, have the opportunity to go back to school. So it, it kind of depends. Yeah, and that's this topic actually got brought up to me by my cousin because we did an episode maybe a month ago about how dogs or pets may be feeling separation anxiety. And he said, well, my, my son, who's four, is having the same problem. Have you, can you tell me about separation anxiety and what that looks like for children and what maybe parents can look out for? Sure. When it comes to separation anxiety, that's when there is a disproportionate amount of worry and distress to the actual stressor. An example is a parent or caregiver needs to go to the grocery store and it may be easier or safer for them to go on their own than to bring the the child and the child is very, very worried and distressed. No, please don't leave me. Please, you know, tell me that you're going to be safe. And this is a condition that existed pre-COVID. Something to also keep in mind is that there's a difference between typical and expected worry during these times because, as you mentioned, families have been together for a very long time and youth are headed back to school facing the unique situation of having been at home for about six to six months or so and being out of the typical school routine and then now being uh, put back into it. And so there may be some time for them to get used to the, the routine. Again, it may take a little bit more time than it, it usually does. Um, and so there's a difference between kind of that expected feeling of worry and distress and a diagnosable condition such as separation anxiety disorder. Are there things that parents can do to, I mean, it may be, you know, some schools haven't gone back completely yet. Some are still doing remote learning. 
Are there things that families can do to help ease kids uh, back into maybe, you know, a new quote unquote normal uh, for getting things back to the way they were with going to school or work? Yeah, uh, there's the, the great part is that there are a lot of things that parents and caregivers can do during this time. One of them is opening up dialogue as soon as, as possible so that the parent or caregiver starts to understand what is coming up for the child or the teen. The other part is providing some supportive statements, which is, I can tell that this is going to be really difficult. I understand that you're feeling really worried and distressed. And at the same time, I have confidence. I know that you will get through it. That doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to be pleasant, obviously, or that it's going to be easy. That being said, they will learn to tolerate and manage um, this new routine of sorts. Um, the other part is creating a predictable routine, and that's something that can happen a little bit before school starts or as school is starting, where it's we're going to be waking up at this time, this time is going to be breakfast, and in that way it's also being able to create some predictability and, and a safety net within a situation that is really uncertain, where it's, you know what, I no matter what is going on, I know that the expectation is that I have to get up at this time um, or my parents are you know, going to make uh, this um, for breakfast or something. Um, and for younger kids or kiddos who have some challenges with attention um, and memory, it could be really helpful to create a visual routine, which is something that uh, a lot of schools also incorporate. The other part is as much as this is feasible and safe, being able to practice separation. Uh, so this can be the caregiver is going to the grocery store while the child stays home with another caregiver or parent, or, you know, you'll play in your room for about 30 minutes and I'm going to be prepping uh, lunch or dinner or something along those lines. So that way it's not a hundred percent being right there next to me um, all of the time. And that helps once there's the transition back to school. Uh, and then also practicing what drop-off will look like. Um, so that way it's, remember, this is the school that you went to last year, or this is the school that your brother or sister went to, and this is the one that you're going to get uh, to go to. Uh, and then before on a Saturday or a Sunday in the morning, practicing that whole routine so that it's something where there isn't an audience, there aren't other folks that are looking at the young kid's reaction, and then it's, okay, all right, this is what it's going to look like. And that helps familiarize the young person, which can help ease some feelings of potential worry or distress of what what does this look like? I don't know. Um, so that way they have um, somewhat of a template. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Not being, you know, back at a school building or even a work building for a long period mm -hmm. of time. Finding parking stresses, you know, people yeah. out going into the city. So that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I think the other part is normalizing that, um, that feeling of, of worry in the sense that it does make a lot of sense that right now, because there's a lot of things that are uncertain, uh, feelings of worry and, and anxiety are going to come up. And together as a family, we're going to get through it. Uh, being able to model how to manage these feelings of anxiety. And so an example being, you know, as a mom or a dad or at the dinner table can say something like, you know, I was feeling really worried and nervous about going back to work. 
and into the building. And I remember that my heart was beating a little bit fast. I was having these worry thoughts. And then I said to myself, I'm going to call my best friend. I'm going to be able to take some deep breaths, be able to listen to music on the way to work that I really like and tell myself that I'm going to get through the day as best I can. And the more that I've gone to work, the less uh, worried I've become or the more I'm able to, to deal with this feeling. And I know that you'll be able to do that too. Um, so that way there isn't this sense that they're the only one that's going through something like this. Mm. Yeah, that that definitely makes a lot of sense because we are, you know, in the same boat, whether it's a kid or um, a parent not being able, <laughs> yeah, to go out as much. And um, that's one thing, too, that I think um, parents forget, too. You know, some kids are ready to go back to school. And um, mm-hmm. I have a, a family friend, the grandmother watches um, the kids a lot. And um, she's sad that they're going back to school. And, you know, you kind of have to be like, it's OK. You know, do you do you find that, too? Um, through your practice that, you know, sometimes maybe it's the parents that kind of need to cut the ties sometimes. I think something that's important to to remember is that uh, young kids or even teens, they look to the adults in their lives during these really unpredictable and uncertain times uh, as as far as, you know, how do I react to, to this situation? And so as difficult as it is, it is very helpful for the child and the teen to see the parent or caregiver as their emotional rock or their emotional sponge. And so, you know, if my, even though I'm feeling really nervous, if my mom, dad, or other caregiver is saying, you know, you are going to go back to school, uh, expressing confidence with regards to safety measures that have been put in place, practicing and normalizing those safety measures at home, um, and then being able to express that that confidence that, you know, we're just going to get through this together as a family, that could go a really long way. Uh, sometimes it does happen where inadvertently there's a reinforcement of feelings of anxiety uh, with regards to, oh, my child is feeling really distressed. Maybe I just, you know what, I'm just going to not have them go to school for the day. The tough part is that the next day, uh, it's going to be even tougher to take the kiddo to, to school. And so, as much as is possible, and I recognize that this is very, very difficult, parents, caregivers have every right to express their emotions. It's just thinking through who are your your safety people? Who are the individuals who you could, uh, after you drop off your, your child at school, you notice that you're feeling really distressed, you really wanted to look back and, and see you know, how they were adjusting. And you said to yourself, you know, I'm not going to do this because I, I just have confidence that they're just gonna make it through the day. It's them being able to go into the car or go um, you know, somewhere else that's a, or a park or something like that and being able to talk to someone where it's, you know what, I just need to get this off my chest. <laughs> this is really hard. I uh, don't know how I did it and I did it and and really picking individuals who will be non-judgmental because sometimes depending on on the family, sometimes uh, some folks, you know, will go into problem solving mode or you say things like, oh, you should have done this. What about doing that next time? And in those moments where all someone wants to do is express themselves, it's really helpful to have those people where it's, you know what, whatever you say, you did the absolute best that you could, and I'm here for you. 
Yeah, definitely. And I I mean, that's, you know, talking about uh, health measures and different things like that and and having confidence in in that this year hasn't just been about, you know, separation anxiety. There's uh, lots of issues that everybody's dealing with, you know, social movements, kids pay attention to that stuff and an election. Do you have any advice for parents dealing with difficult questions from their kids, maybe how they can deal with different types of anxiety right now? So something that's important is being able, as I mentioned before, to have those open dialogues because kids and, and teens can sense when there's a topic that is off limits versus a topic that they can speak freely to their parent or caregiver about. And also basing the conversation on facts from reputable sources. And part of this too is also thinking, how can we have these conversations without it taking over every single conversation that that we have? Because then it can get to a point where there's a lot of information to digest and there's you know maybe not enough time or it's kind of difficult to transition to something else. So it is being able to say if you have a question I am here for you. If I do not if I do not know the answer, we're going to make a list of questions and I'm going to figure out how to answer them in the most truthful way possible. I'd rather you come to me than go to Google, which again is really, really helpful. That being said, sometimes we go, many of us go into kind of the rabbit hole of Google searches or YouTube or social media where it's, we're going to talk about this together in a way where we're really basing the conversation on, on reputable facts and trusted sources. Yeah. Are there, are there um, things that maybe uh, parents should keep an eye out right now? Something specific to, you know, the situations, uh, quarantine, coronavirus, and kind of the staying at home more? I think something that is helpful to include in the predictable routine is set time for meals. Again, if it's feasible, uh, to have the the family around, so that way there's opportunities for the the child or the teen to come out of their room and kind of have a familial setting. The other part is being able to get out of the house in as safe of a way as possible, whether it's going around the block on a family walk or something along those lines. So that way there's also this sense of of movement, uh, so exercise and um, ensuring that. The meals are as healthy as as possible because that goes a long way in terms of um, regulating or managing um, mood and emotions. And doctor, if we can maybe end on a positive note, have you seen anything maybe encouraging that has happened over the past month with families being more together? Is there maybe a silver lining that can come out of uh, quarantining and families having this unique time together? I think, again, it'll be really important to, in in efforts to have a really informed decision, it'll be really helpful to, once studies are published, where we have a lot of information from various uh, groups, to have a more adequate response. That being said, I think something to to have um, parents keep in mind is that they're doing the absolute best that they can uh, in terms of their decision-making, given the facts that have been available to them. And then also um, the school districts and partnerships with local agencies to really think through how are we making this 
uh, transition back to school or hybrid learning or virtual learning as safe as, as possible to meet the learning needs of, of these young people. Mm-hmm. One other thing to keep in mind for, for parents and caregivers is, you know, if the plan right now is going back to brick and mortar school full time or hybrid learning, it's trying to work with your child on increasing their flexibility of a potential shift in that plan, uh, depending on how things go. And again, being very upfront that right now, this is what the decision is. And as soon as I know something different, as soon as that information is available to me, I will let you know and we will figure it out. Um, So that way there isn't this promise that you're going to go to school full time in the building when we're not sure whether that'll happen. We, we, you know, we hope that that everything works out well. And it's also this understanding of the decision will be made based on the safety of, of everyone involved. Yeah, that definitely uh, safety is a big, I guess, uh, quality right now to express mm-hmm. to people. Yeah, parents are doing what they can in modeling that, and the the children and and teens as well. That the recommended safety protocols are are there to help keep everyone as as safe as possible, and that's something that they have control over in in a situation that does feel uncontrollable. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today and talking with me about uh, different anxieties that kids may be feeling. Well, thank you for your time. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.